Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And I thought it was a great opportunity to ask the first time I think I've asked a guest to come back from the third time. And this is for a very good reason is that Joe Irwin has had more than 5,000 downloads of the two episodes that uh, she very kindly uh, shared when you were sharing your expertise in both how to be a great interviewer and how to be a great interviewee. So, Joe, thank you so much for agreeing to come back on the HR Uprising. You're welcome, Lucinda. It's great to be back. So those episodes, as I say, they have been so widely appreciated and used, and we thought it would be helpful to maybe, you know, bring in some additional tips. I know you've been working, you've had quite a busy summer, haven't you, creating extra content, et cetera, um, that I suppose with the digital, when we first did the uh, recording, we were all face-to-face, I think. And so I guess most of your coaching has gone virtual and digital. And how has it been? How's your summer been? Yeah, no, I've had a really great summer. Thanks, Lucinda. And I have to say, although I'm delighted so many people have downloaded those two episodes and I hope found them really beneficial, um, it's been great for me because it's meant I've reached a, a much wider audience. And although I'm based here in County Clare in Ireland, with the virtual world being able to run a lot of coaching uh, online. And as you say, if people would visit my webpage, you'll see that there are various resources. I have prep materials and a video that people can avail of, uh, which will give them a, you know, a really comprehensive overview about the way that I approach, particularly competency-based interviewing. And I think that that's something that is, is a practical resource that people can avail of to just help them with their prep. And then when they meet me for coaching over Zoom or WebEx, it just means that they're all ready to go to make the most of the, the coaching time they have with me. Um, so it's been great. It's been a win-win. I mean, that's the beauty, isn't it, of getting resources like this out there. So um, and say I'll, I'll show, signpost in the show notes the two episodes so it, that um, we did previously, how to be a great interviewee and practical interviewing techniques. And obviously people can listen to those to get the basis. We talk really focus in on um, competency based interviewing, don't we, um, within those and then use this content as a supplement if you want to take yourself to the next level. I mean, we were chatting, weren't we, off camera earlier about the sort of typical questions that come through and maybe the things that you have to work harder with some of your clients on. And that's the beauty. So if they've done the additional learning, you can, in your coaching sessions, you can take them to the next level, but you've kindly offered to come and share some of those tips so that they can be out there for people to take advantage of um, themselves if they want to. I mean, if I was just going to uh, run through one of the main one of the points or we came up with three or four points didn't we earlier that you thought people often come back to with you uh the first one we were talking about was elevator pitches 
which is one of those sort of businessy things. Not everybody sees that as something that they do in an interview. You know, do you want to tell us, expand on the elevator pitch? Why is it so important? Why are people sometimes a bit resistant to it? And any top tips for people with regard to that? Yeah, I mean, if I think about the sort of the 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 breadth of people that come to me, Lucinda, you're quite right. People have different issues when they're doing interviews. Some people have an issue with their confidence and managing nerves, and that's something obviously a coach can help with. Um, the the other area is around structuring. I'm more than happy to talk a bit more about that. But the elevator pitch for me is the, the bedrock or the foundation for people understanding the need to sell. So it's something that I think certain cultures, particularly Irish, English people, we're not great. Uh, UK people from the UK are bigging ourselves up. Um, and an interview is a sales process. Um, and it's absolutely crucial that you know several Obviously, the magic number is three reasons why you're a great candidate, because if you don't know them as a candidate, the interview panel will never, ever be able to know them. So by working with clients on their elevator pitch and understanding the importance of it, um, you, you you can actually see people building confidence in that on a, in one short answer. Sometimes it's not even officially marked. It's just the sort of the warm up question that a, an interviewer might give to you but uh you can see people's confidence build because the more they practice it the more they start believing it themselves and it's that clarity of those three key selling points uh, which for me during the whole interview you can come back to and that's how you get that repetition of message it's the three things that you want them to remember about you once you've left um and it all comes from that so a lot of people spend a lot of time prepping for interviews doing homework looking at the company and the organization and on their website or for some areas of work it might be looking at guidelines policies and procedures and they come to me with a4 folders full of stuff as mm. if they're revising for an exam but i think people just need to take a step back and think about it's a selling process and it all comes down to your clarity on what you have to offer because you don't know it they can't know it yeah, and it's it's that repetition because you know interviewers are you know hearing seeing loads of different people, and often when you might have done lots of background knowledge, you, you you can explain things, but maybe not in the most succinct way that you would do, and it gets lost. Your value gets yeah. lost. So I can see having that sort of clarity, um, whether you uh, whether you repeat it word for word isn't necessarily the thing, but it's being able to communicate it so that they are left with that confidence and clarity as to what you offer that's different. Yeah. Absolutely. And you're just saying there about the fact that it can be uh, delivered. Some people do deliver it as a word for word thing and they've tried to learn it off longhand. That's actually one of the challenges. So I have a couple of tips and ideas for how people can use the elevator pitch to do that brilliant first impression um, and ensure that they get off to a flying start, but also that the panel sit up and realize that this is going to be a great interview. Yes. Um, and one of them, if you don't mind, is exactly that. The trick with this is not learning our script. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's absolutely key uh, that you are able to deliver this and sound natural. So sometimes some of my clients come to me and they have become a little robotic and they're learning it off literally word for word, like it's a speech and drama exam. Yeah. And that doesn't go down well. And I think you take away from the power of having a great start because you sound like you have it learnt. So for me, the, the tip on that is you've got to take that leap of faith and rip up the longhand script. Even this morning, coaching somebody, I said, I can tell you're reading that. Yeah. Show it to me. She held it up. I said, yeah. okay, let's throw that away. Um, some of my resources involve people being able to plan this like a PowerPoint slide deck. And they literally have this bullet pointed. But every time they say it, it sounds slightly different. Yeah. Um, it needs to sound natural and a little bit more off the cuff than hanging yourself to every word being right. 
because it also has the problem that when you do that, if you stumble and that sentence doesn't come out quite right, you hesitate and you fall. And again, it just smacks of being learnt off. So it's a leap of faith. It is a brave thing to do. You've got to rip up the script and have it bullet pointed. It's about being authentic um, there. That I mean, and, and and the bullet points you can be able to go back to it um, to make sure you're still clear, but um, not expanding and going off the point. So it's getting that yes. balance. Absolutely, it's short and snappy because the last thing you want to do is get cut off halfway through. Um, and again, it's the worst start possible because it really knocks your confidence. So mm. yeah, that's really key. Second little idea to make sure that it doesn't sound learnt off is to use reflective listening, Lucinda. So if, for example, the interviewer says to you, you know, thanks so much for applying, um, before we get into the competencies, you might start by telling us a little bit about your career to date. I'd ask people to use that word career to date in their intro. So as you can see, I have 15 years of experience in order to stand out. I'd like to highlight just three things from my career to date that I believe make me a strong candidate. Where if I said, thank you for applying, Lucinda, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about your background. I'd like you to be able to say, I appreciate you seeing a lot of candidates in order to be remembered. There are three things from my background I'd like to highlight. So okay. it's a small tip, but try to use the keyword that they ask you for in your intro line, because it will sound like you were listening and you haven't come in with a script. But it sounds like you're actually answering the question, even though you're going to give them the three points you come up Absolutely. with. Absolutely. Most definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a tip. It's a bit like being a politician. You want to give your elevated pitch regardless of what the, the question is. And funny, I don't think I covered this in our first webinar um, podcast, rather, was sometimes you might get asked, how did you prepare for today? Okay, that's a classic opener as well. How did you prepare for today? And I do believe you can still do, uh, although it will be shortened, elevator pitch. I did three things to prepare. The first is, then give them the literal answer. I used the job spec. I spoke to Trevor, who works in your department. I found out a bit about the company, and I used that to prepare my answers. The second thing I did, um, maybe you could say knowing I can get nervous or having not done an interview in time, is I took it upon myself to get some interview skills coaching. I think that looks very positive and proactive. And then we're into being a politician. And the final thing I did is to reflect on a few things I can bring to the role. And they are. And you're able to deliver your three points, although it will be a condensed version of. Or tell me what attracts you to the role. First, there are several things. Always give it a structure. Several things that attract me. And then the first might be the bigging it up, giving them the ego stroke, telling them how exciting it is, an opportunity for you. But then saying the second thing is that I believe it's a great fit. I get people to maybe do this gesture, a great fit to my skills and background. You can see that I've got this, I've done this and I have this. So if you don't have this clarity of the three points, I think it's very difficult to think on your feet. But if you do, regardless of the question, you can give them the three key points it's always just about linking it back which is where it does come to sales and perhaps that's there's a, an interesting one because not everybody you and I both have yeah. had some experience in sales um, and yeah. actually to benefit the people who are just listening on the podcast we've recorded this as a video as well so you can see Jo's actions when she took it <laughs> she put her hands together and sort of knitted them in a steeple as best way I can go yeah. um, yeah. remember that nursery rhyme way but just linking them together to show yeah. you something there so yeah so so I mean those of us who's in, we're not talking, sales is not about um, selling something that's not a good fit. You wouldn't be going for the job unless you thought you were a good fit. Yeah. Selling is about showing showing the benefits, i.e. your benefits, your three great points, and how they align with whatever it is that they're looking for in that role. Yeah. 
isn't it? And mm. that's, that's kind of why I think I think sometimes we forget to make those links. So that reflective listening point is about connecting, showing your listening, but making it relevant to my background or, you know, what I look, what attracts me about the role is X, Y, Z, because I've got this background of ABC absolutely. and they fit really well together. Yeah. It's no a good sense. fit from both sides. It's absolutely that, Lucinda. It's a good fit from both sides. And actually you mentioning that it will be a useful link between this, this area around the elevator pitch. And my next point about sales is that within your elevator pitch, you must tailor it. So no more than you tailor your CV. I think you talked about that with me on the last podcast. Yeah. Uh, you don't throw in generic CVs or generic covering letters. You tailor it. Exactly the same stands for this important opener in your interview. So it's good, the food analogies. It's all about food with me. If the job description says you need to know how to make fairy cakes and you need to have in-depth knowledge on how to make Swiss rolls, that's what you're going to put in your elevator pitch. Yeah. So one of your key selling points might be your relevant experience. And you might say, you can see I have 11 years of total experience with uh, exposure to fairy cakes and an in-depth knowledge of how to make Swiss rolls. Now, you may also know, Lucinda, how to make a fruit cake, But if it's not written on the job description, you're not going to put it in the pitch because it's irrelevant. So you have to tailor that elevator pitch to delivering the key things on the job spec and, and doing that in a really clean, punchy way right at the beginning of the pitch. So I talk to people about balloons three balloons okay so this is a sort of extra uh, hopefully uh extra help that i can give today if you imagine that you're going to have three key selling points in your interview and those are three balloons okay first is normally your relevant experience the amount of it and where it's been have that in reverse chronological order because what's most important is where you are now and what you're delivering and what you're responsible for not what you did 15 years ago when you graduated mm-hmm Then you might have a balloon, which is all around your dedication to learning, your professional development, your qualifications and any courses and conferences you've been to. And then your third blue might be examples of, say, leadership or taking responsibility. So my idea is, is that if you think about that elevator pitch as being three balloons, you're placing them there in your little opening answer. They're there for the interview. And when we talked about sales being about repetition, I just ask people to give them a little pull, just give them a little tug, okay? But you need to make sure that those balloons are absolutely clear in your head because there's no way you'll be able to do it under pressure unless they are. Does that make sense? It's back to the clarity as a salesperson because you're selling yourself. Just going back to the fruitcake point, um, (laughs) it's not in the job description, um, but you think it's a really key strength for you. Are there any circumstances in which you might introduce it? I appreciate I appreciate you probably wouldn't put it in your elevator pitch, which you're putting out. Yeah. But how would you, you know, demonstrate that if you thought that maybe it was particularly relevant? Yeah, I think you can. I think you can do two things. I think you could say, and a key word for me with my clients is transferable skills. You might say, I additionally have five years experience working in this area, um, which would mean I have transferable skills. I could bring to working in this area. So that's the keyword transferable skills, although it might not be directly relevant to the job spec. And then the second thing people can do is talk about maturity and resilience. I don't think people actually play that card enough. And I think in the post-pandemic era, resilience, maturity has really come uh, to the fore as a bit of a buzz area, isn't it? So you might say, I have this much experience, a relevance it's this, yeah, But of note, I in total have worked for this many years or within the industry for this many years, which means I have a maturity and a resilience that I could bring to any role. 
So I think that's another way you could bring in experience that isn't directly relevant, but obviously still it still has a benefit for them. Yes. And and again, I'm noticing us both having had a sales background for people who perhaps haven't, what you're saying is this word, which means that. Um, so we always used to have a feature and a benefit, didn't you, Rich? You say, which yeah. means that? Because although we might be really clear that, you know, okay, you know, and I'm really adept at making fruitcakes, which means that if you have yeah. a complex order or someone comes and wanting something off, you know, off the menu, actually I've got yeah. experience of bringing something else in or, you know, it's a particularly someone wants something for Christmas I'm there whatever I'm, I'm it's basically yeah. it's making the link though which is why you're sharing that piece of information why you think it's relevant I mean I do it in a, in if I'm talking to customers um about things where I, I believe it's relevant for them but they may not yeah. really know you know I've got experience with these other industries which may mean that I can help you break into new areas or that kind of thing yeah absolutely so you're prompting ideas and that we touched on that in the in the first podcast I remember I call it future pacing now, if people Googled future pacing, it's not going to come up with anything. It's my words. But it's this idea that you don't just say what you have. You say what it means. You future pace it. You take it into the future. And you're aiming with as many answers as possible to finish with what does that show them you will do in this role. Um, and, a, and a little sort of check for people is that your answers, whereas as often as possible, should be finishing either with the name of the role. So this is something I can bring forward into the role of chief bottle washer. Or they're finishing the answer with, I can bring this forward into the role. So as many of your answers as possible should finish with the title of the job, all the words, the role. And then you've you've done that future pacing. You've taken it forward. So that future pacing, I think um, that's an interesting term that not everybody might be familiar with. But yeah. what I can see you're doing with that is you're helping me, if I'm the interviewer, visualise you in that job of Chief Bottle so you're you're yeah. kind of leading me to a future where I'm seeing you doing it um, yeah. and taking me on that journey um, as opposed to me having to make the connection for myself, which is, I think, quite clever. Yeah. Well, I do think, again, and you know me, Lucinda, from the uh, talking to me before about I like a process. I'm a very procedural person. Um, and again, warning on a food analogy, what I ask my clients to do is to think about a hamburger or a beef burger right so this is just bear with me this i hope will make sense it's making me quite hungry now i know <laughs> it's around lunchtime so if you imagine a picture of a hamburger or a beef burger um, and my materials go through this i'm going to ask you let's say for example it's a competency-based uh question i'm going to ask you for an example of leadership the leadership star and we go through that in the other podcast the situation task action result that's the actual beef patty okay so that's the answer that most of your competition will be giving. They're just going to literally give the star, mm -hmm. okay? Some to some better abilities and some not. No, so, 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 so that's the actual star. That's your answer. What I'm asking my clients to do is to put that between two really nice pieces of burger bun, all right? So we have an opening bit of bread, then we have the, the actual star, and then we have the bottom bit of bread. Now, the opening bit of bread, and this will pick up on what we said earlier about the need to repeat your key selling points, the opening bit of bread is a repeat of something you said from your pitch. And that's the little pull on the balloon. Yeah, you're going to be cheeky. I'm going to say to you, Lucinda, can you give me an example of leadership? You are not going to go straight in and literally say, yeah, there was a situation recently when I was. Don't start until you give it an opening bit of bread, which might sound like, um, yeah, I mentioned earlier, one of the things I can bring to this role is 14 years of experience of managing you know, um, a, a large team within wherever. I have an example where I showed leadership within that role for this competency. 
So the situation was, or maybe I ask you for an example, Lucinda, of tell me a time that you managed change or implemented a change. And one of your sales points for yourself, Lucinda, would be that I've written a book on change management. Yeah. <laughs> or somebody who is listening to this podcast might have done a qualification in leadership, which included managing change. And that was one of their selling points that they have shown, uh, a, a, you know, a motivation to get a qualification. So I say, can you give me your example for managing change? You are not going to go straight in with just giving me the actual beef patty, the star. You're going to start by saying, yeah, one of the things you can see from my paperwork is I recently did a diploma in leadership, which included a lot of theory around change management. I'd like to talk to you about how I put that theory into practice recently when working in such and such. So the situation was, and that's how you and I know this importance of repeating your key points, but this is how people can do a little mention of something from those three balloons before they start with the actual literal answer. Salespeople aren't literal, Lucinda. We never give a straight answer. We're looking to how do we, how do we add in the extra? But okay. I think it's, it's interesting because we're not saying don't be yourself, are we? We are saying be authentic, but we're just giving yourself the best possible chance of, you know, showing what you're really capable of and actually yeah. you don't want a burger on its own dry you want to make sure you've got a nice a nice toasted brioche and some yeah. tomato and lettuce absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely and then just in. sorry you're, ahead. you're leading people you're also um, you're giving context I think it is relevant because you're giving people context as opposed to yeah. being too yeah. yeah. And you're going to vary up. You're going to make sure you sound natural. So some of the time you might say one of the things I mentioned earlier is I've got X years of experience in. And sometimes you might say you can see from my form that I did a certificate in such and such. So you're not going to be, again, learned off, but it's the quick pull on that balloon. That's the opening before you literally give them the competency example. And then the bottom bit of bread. Well, that's the future pacing sentences. That's the I think this shows that I can do X. But I also have experience of why. And both of these would stand me in the role. Both of these would be beneficial in the role. Or this is experience I can take forward into the role. So that's the the, the, the practical way I ask my clients to, to, to get used to saying it. Yeah. Do the opening and then give the answer and then finish with a future pacing sentence. Because I think that is the simplest way I can turn non-sales people into salespeople. I mean, it's, I mean, if people don't like the hamburger analogy, it's a bit of, tell them what you're going to tell them or why you're going to tell them it, tell them and then tell them why it's relevant. It's a little bit of that kind of three piece there, isn't it? In terms of. Yeah. It can help people. It can help people when they're nervous to have just a way of approaching it. And also Lucinda, it helps people prepare for the interview. Because I think Mm -hmm. sometimes people, um, they struggle to know how to actually get going in preparing for this. And I just like to make it yeah procedural and straightforward and without being rigid and robotic yeah. so that's why it's got to be bullet pointed and learned and you have to practice out loud it also strikes me that what you're doing is you're taking control quite often you can feel that you know especially if it's say a panel interview or quite a lot of people that you're um you know you're on the back foot all the time you're having to answer questions or you're sort of responding whereas what you're doing is you're grabbing it and you know this is and taking control of it it is again i've made politicians it's not the best analogy but it is <laughs> you are still answering the question but it's um you know it, it's more you're taking control of how that is as a fit as opposed to feeling that it's being done to you yeah well and i'm really pleased you've just mentioned that because that is an amazing link to my next next point <laughs> <laughs> you think I planned that, right? but i really have absolutely <laughs> it didn't happen that way <laughs> 
So uh, you mentioned about what is it that my clients maybe struggle with or what am I finding that I need to help them with? Um, and it is uh, helping them understand the need for structure. It really, really makes a huge difference. We all appreciate we need to make it as easy as possible for the panel um, to digest what we're saying. And you just said there, Lucinda, they're seeing often a lot of people on a day. And the benefits of competency-based interviewing means it's more structured. It's meant to be a fairer process, but it does make it a little monotonous and a little boring listening to the same examples. Often that interviewer is tasked with the same competency, say leadership for every single candidate. It can get very repetitive. Yeah. So structure for me is about putting yourself in their shoes and making it very easy. But I also think the benefit for the candidate is it makes it far easier to learn it off. Yeah. And, um, one of the things I've been doing more recently is really nailing people to use the sentence. So as you're going through your star, the situation was blah, blah, blah. My task I recognized was to do, 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 whatever that is. I want all of my clients now to say there were four actions I took. So I did speak in the last podcast about warning the panel how many actions are coming. Because otherwise, I have no idea how many you're going to go through. Yes. Yeah, you may be on your third action out of four. But I'm thinking, gosh, this one's going on ever such a lot. She might have 15, 16 of them. I don't yeah. know how many are coming. So I physically get people to use their fingers. It may sound a little bit deliberate, but it's a great visual prompt for you and for the panel. This is about, like you say, owning it and controlling it a little bit more than maybe people think. They think they need to react to the questions. So say there are four actions I took in this situation which show my ability in leadership. The first was... Boom, 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 boom. The second was la, 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 la. Third and then fourth. Now, there are several benefits of doing this. I found it's kind of spooky, but people tend to be a little bit more I when they are anchoring and numbering them off on the fingers. I get less we, 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 which That's obviously is a challenge because you should be talking about I, not we, the team. Yeah. So there's something about it, it almost grounds people in the story a little bit more. First, I took responsibility for. Then I recognize the need to. There's something about that that makes it more I. Second benefit is this learning it off. So I'm asking my clients nowadays in the recent months to be able to literally give me a word or two that will be enough as well prompt for you to remember the four or five sentences on each of these actions. And I get them to close their eyes and go through them one by one. So the lady this morning I was coaching, she literally had research, um, MDT, there's a multidisciplinary team. She was then taking it to the MDT meeting. She then did a pilot. She then um, it, it, uh, evaluated it. So all she had were the four words, keywords. Yeah. And then I asked her to close her eyes and said, what are those backwards? Evaluate, pilot, MDT, research. What's the third one? What's the right. first one? Yes. And when people have got them, that's the benefit of people on the podcast. As Jojo yes. point, she's using her fingers. So people are anchoring them on their fingers. So, and, and I guess that means not having long sentences. They know what they are. And she's taking them from the first to the fourth on their fingers and then back up again. Yes. So and I, I mean, you see, I've been presenting 28 years at this stage as a trainer. 
I would struggle to remember a story and make sure I don't forget things. But if I can picture either four points on each finger or the equivalent of four points on a PowerPoint slide, I've got a chance of remembering them. Getting a person to practice that forwards and backwards. I actually had a manager recently said she was practicing in the school run just before uh, holidays with her competency examples. And her nine-year-old son from the back seat said, mum, I thought you had a fifth action on that one. (laughs) (laughs) So the idea of knowing them is the first thing. All right. So A, it's a, it's a it helps people be I rather than we. Secondly, it's an aid to learn them off. All right. Third benefit of it is that I find it's much easier for people to recover if the interviewers probe and jump in with a question. Yeah, it'll take you off track. You know you've got to go back to your third point or fourth point. That's it. Yeah. And you've got the visual there for both sides of the table to know that. So um, maybe the second action somebody is running through, they're touching their middle finger. They say, the second thing I did, because I know it's important to um, get involvement from all of the stakeholders, is I took it to the meeting for discussion. Oh, interesting, Lucinda. Tell us more about that. Was there any resistance? Did anybody, uh, you know, have an objection to your idea? Leave your fingers there. Okay. Often answer the question hopefully nice and cleanly, possibly by pulling a balloon about something you know about change management. Then take a very quick breath, not a long lingering pause, because I find that people then get the impression that you've lost where you are and the panel feel the need to jump in with another question, which goes to another question, and you're down a rabbit hole. You answer the question succinctly, you take a very quick breath, And then you control it and say, coming back to my third action in this example, I then moved on to realise la, 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 la. You know, as an interviewer, you'd be grateful for that because we all zone in and out of stuff. Oh, yeah, well done. And you think, yeah, they know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I just think you're showing more control. And now in some with some people that I'm interviewing or coaching, sorry, at the moment, um, they will be given a mark for communication skills during their interview. For some organizations, they don't ask them a specific question around it. It might just be they're giving you a global mark for communication skills based on your interview performance. So mm. by doing this and being able to clearly and assertively control your delivery, I believe you're going to max out on the points you get for that as well. Yeah. Along yeah. with making it easy, like you said. Yeah, it's succinct and yeah. clear there. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got right, I've got a couple I've got a question I want to come back to. I know we've got a couple more points. I know we've only got about five minutes left. Um, also, I just thought for the benefit of people listening, the I versus we, because interestingly, yeah. in in maybe a team meeting um, or on a web- webinar, say you're training, using the term we might be preferable. Do you want to just explain why I? Yeah. What we don't want to do is to cause the interviewer to then ask the additional question. That sounds great. Like a great team effort, Lucinda, but could you talk us through what you actually did as part of that? Because that's what will happen. They want to know what you did. It's your interview, not the team's interview. It isn't about dissing teamwork. So you can use your action to say, the second thing I did as part of the team, I took responsibility too. While I worked with my colleague on this collaboratively, I used my initiative to suggest we did so-and-so. So you can still acknowledge it was part of a team or part of a partnership, but it's what you did. And it's so important because it's not the team's interview, it's yours. No, and the team's not getting the job usually, are they? Absolutely, yeah. Can I just mention one more thing just on that need for um, or one of the benefits of this numbering them off on your fingers? And it's about lingering longer, okay? So sometimes people, and this is a challenge, sometimes people coaching, they are, again, quite literal in telling me their star 
specifically the actions, but they're telling me them quite literally as if it's just a recalling of the story. You know, so this happened and then this happened and then I did this and then I did this. And it's all very literal. People may be aware with competency-based interviewing, and we touched on this in the podcast on interviewer skills, is the interviewers are comparing your example to the description of the competency. So somewhere on your paperwork, whether it's in the job spec or for some it's on the application form where they have to provide their examples, there will be a description of the competency. And that for that grade or that position is what good looks like. That's the 100 marks if it's out of 100. So they're comparing your answer to that. So people struggle, they genuinely struggle to be able to embed what I call the buzzwords from the competency descriptor into their answer. They really struggle with being able to literally hit those buzzwords and make their answer sound like it should. Yeah. So again, if you number them off and you have one on each finger, once you've done that and you can say them forwards and backwards and inside out, then we can layer on the buzzwords. So you don't literally tell me what you've done. You make it sound fancy. You make it sound like the descriptor. So here's a good example. The second action, the lady this morning said she took it to the MDT, to the multidisciplinary meeting. Because I know it's important to engage all of the stakeholders. So engaging stakeholders was one of her buzzwords. Right. That makes sense. Then the pilot. I ran the pilot. I used an eva- a very quick evaluation form to be able to react constructively to any feedback that I gleaned. So, so, she knew so she could put a buzzword on each action and all of a sudden she's going to increase her marks because she's she's hitting them. From, but the but I mean, I guess you can know but if you're if you don't if you're going to um for a job within an organization that you know what the competency framework is, it's easier to know what the buzzwords are. I know you can hazard a good guess. Um it, 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 would you say, I mean, is are you thinking about that in the context of where you actually know what they're looking for specifically, or do you think that can be just as effective? if you're just going to, you know, a brand new organisation? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, a lot of these words are generic, aren't they? So sense of direction, clear goals, you know, um, open communication channels. Yeah, yeah, strategic thinking. Um, Some organisations will have a very, very um, detailed list of what that competency looks like. Some don't. Uh, A lot of the organisations do. And check on your job description. Sometimes it's hidden near the bottom. They have the key roles and responsibilities, the logistics of the the role, but then down they'll have key skills and competencies and there will be description. Um, with other jobs, certainly civil servants or anything like that, there, there'll be, be literature available. Name. There will yeah. be literature available about the competencies required. So do some homework and find them. Worst comes the worst. It's generic buzzwords that you you can easily find that, that represent leadership, represent change yeah. management, represent teamwork. You know, they're pretty generic. I'm thinking also, if you're going through a recruiter, they may actually be given it, but not pass it on. So it's worth asking. That's a very good point. Very good point. Yeah. So, okay. So um, I've got one more question just to go back to, which is a, a yeah. slightly linking back to the balloons. And then I think you were, going, you were talking about just practicing out loud was the final point we were going to talk about. Mm. So my thing, my thinking is, if I come to you and I want some interview coaching, and you said, I've got my three things. I say, I've got three things, but actually, I think I've got five things. So would you say someone would have five balloons or does it need to be three or what's your, is that too much? What's your view on that? Well, I always think three is the magic number. I do occasionally have clients that have, you know, super duper impressive CVs and they're at a very high level. And therefore, you could argue it's hard for them to get it to three. 
um, the risk is you start adding more, it dilutes the three, you know, the the quality of your messages. So I sometimes let people off with four, but I definitely wouldn't go to five. (laughs) Would you bolster it and make an extra big balloon? You know, yeah, well, you see, the thing is, you can. And when I say about putting a balloon, it's useful to check this out. When my idea about putting a little balloon before your stars, for example, the opening piece of bread, or pulling a balloon even during one of your answers, you can do that. You're not pulling the whole balloon. So within your bullet points of your elevator pitch, yeah. So my third highlight, going back to the beginning of this conversation, is my uh, proven track record of taking responsibility. I've been involved in this, was integral in this, and also took a lead on this. So you can have three or four bullet points within a balloon, And then when you are in your interview trying to pull something in, you might just say, I mentioned earlier, I was a lead in being involved in such and such. So you're not putting the whole thing in. So you can still get the repetition. Just referring stuff that's in that broad category. Yeah. So really what we're saying with the balloons is these are broad categories of skill sets that your three, maximum four, but the three broad categories. And I say, so change that's... it, it, there are things that might go into it. You used me as an yeah. example. It could be a written a book on change. I know you've done webinars on change. You've led change projects, right? So yeah. the, those all fit within my change balloon or for our Yes, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And also just on that point, just quickly before we, we need to wrap up, is that sometimes people um, save things. You know, I, I might be coaching them and we get to a particular competency example. And I'm like, oh, blimey, that's a really, really strong example. How come you didn't put it in your elevator pitch? Oh, I was saving it. They'll say, I was saving it. It's like, no, 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 we need to repeat it. So it's exactly the kind of thing you'd have as a bullet point in that balloon of, say, leadership. And then when you come to doing that competency example in depth, you're going to say, I mentioned earlier, one of the ways I've shown leadership is through my involvement in X. I'd like to take you through that in a bit more detail for this competency. So you're not saving it. You should exactly (laughs) be be repeating it because you have it in the pitch and then you go into it in the example. Great. Okay, so we've got our balloons, we've got our our various examples here, we've got our structure, our three points, our elevator pitch. I know you're a real advocate of practicing out loud, and that was one of the things we talked about originally as well. Yeah. You want to add a little bit to that? Well, I just think it's absolutely crucial. If you're going to uh, give your best shot at an interview, you, you have to be prepared to go through practicing out loud. It is uncomfortable. You feel like a bit of a twit doing it in front of friends and family. They don't have to be people that are familiar with your industry or your workplace. It's just they've got to have you know, a body and a heartbeat and be real people. <laughs> So so, life, it's not just practicing out loud, it's practicing to real people, not just... Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's my point. Yeah, some people say, yeah, I practice out loud and recorded myself on my phone or I do it in front of the mirror. That's great. That's better than not doing anything. Mm. But you really need some real life stooges, whoever they are, your three-year-old, you know, your Aunt Mabel, your neighbour down the road, just grab as many people as you can. Um, Try to perhaps increase the pressure. You know, don't go for your old boss for the first run through. Uh, go for a friend or a family, but increase the pressure because the more you do, the more comfortable you'll be on the day. Yes. In fact, sometimes people say the interview itself was less nerve wracking than doing it in front of my, you know, yeah, my, my old boss and my friend. So it's about having real life stooges, number one, absolutely. The use of Zoom is fantastic because it's so convenient. You could set up a Zoom call with friends and family across the world. And of course, you can record it. That's one of the things I'm finding so great about offering coaching to people. Okay. The recording okay. function means they don't make notes. They're not trying to remember my feedback. Everything is recorded. So that's really handy. It's more convenient for your stooges as well to dial in and give you half an hour. 
But the other thing is, and I picked this up from another podcast, I will admit to that, give some advice to your stooges about what you'd like them to help you with. Yeah, give them some guidance on what you would feedback on. Because if you leave it very broad, people will tend to be a little general. Oh, that was really good that time, darling. Mm -hmm. Or that was much better. Um, So so it might be... My eye contact or whether or not I'm distinct. um, Absolutely. Yeah, which is where you could use people that don't actually know the job. The content isn't so important. You're not looking for feedback on the quality of your content, maybe with your with your neighbor or your friend. But you might say to them, can you give me some feedback on whether I remember to say there were four actions before yeah. I jump in and give them to you? Anyone can give you that feedback. Well, maybe not the three-year-old, but anyone can give that feedback to you. And then the other thing, this was the idea from the podcast, is... If you've got somebody who's being too nice, too kind, just saying, oh, it was really good, or you were really extra smiley that time, it was lovely, darling. Yeah, this is a good tip. Ask them to give you a mark out of 10. So that was really great that time, Lucinda. Well done. Much better this evening, honey. And you go, okay, well, on a scale of one to 10, mum, how good was it? You might say, oh, at least eight and a half, nine, darling. It was great. Then, of course, a follow-up. And what would have made it a 10? Yeah. And they go, well, maybe your eye contact was a bit off, but I don't really want to say it. Then you'll get to the crux of it. So A, give them some guidance on what you'd like them to feedback on. And secondly, if they're being too kind or not specific enough, use a scaling question. One to 10, what would you give me? And what would have made it a nine or a 10? And then you're going to be more useful and they will feel better for being useful and your confidence hopefully will go up. Absolutely. It's an even better if question, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. So... I think we, we've got another comprehensive podcast here. We're going to have to leave it there if it's 40 minutes, haven't we? Um, but the great thing is it's video. The great thing is people can come back and review this, understand more about the elevator pitch, the, the balloons, the hamburger. <laughs> and we've, got a, so we've got a barbecue on our hands, haven't we? Really? Fairy cake, right. Swiss rolls and a bit of fruitcake for pudding. Fantastic. Yeah, totally, totally. As we're going into it, awesome. And um, as ever, Joe, we'll, well, I'll, let, I'll get you say where you are and things like that, but I send people to your website because obviously you are working with people all over the world now, actually, aren't you? Yeah. In terms of this, mm-hmm. and you've also got digital resources. So if people want one-to-one, you still offer one-to-one um, interview coaching. But there's all this stuff that people can um, access first, so that they're yes. using time with you really just for polishing, should they wish to. So how would people yeah. get hold of you, Joe, if they wanted to? Well, the best way is through my website. Yeah, so www.i4training.ie, and that's the letter I, number four, training all one word um and there are links and ways to get hold of me there platform that's probably the best way yeah and we're also doing some linkedin live stuff as well aren't we depending on when people hear the podcast they may have happened or otherwise and some q a but i mean i guess people can contact you through linkedin as well um yeah. but if they want to too so yeah uh, most definitely fantastic Great. brilliant to have you on a hat trick hey we've hit the magic three joe fantastic <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> I have to stop now. Never speak to you again. That's it. Thanks so much for joining us on the HR Uprising. You're very welcome. Lovely. Bye. Thanks so much, Lucinda. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now, you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising? 
to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast.